Okay, good morning, I'm Melanie, and I was saying to you this morning, really, what I want to bring this morning is more something prophetic that I feel God has spoken to me about, about our church, and so um, it kind of will feel a little bit different in that it's probably an extended prophetic word, and I will read something from the Bible, so... um, that you feel happy that it's not just me spouting off and um, but it will feel just a little bit different and I want a little bit of interaction because I think part of the prophetic is the way as a church we weigh it together and decide together what it means to us and how we apply it and so a little bit I'm going to do a little bit of that with you with the word and just expound it a little bit. I'm hoping it will be totally appropriate to people who are not part of this church because it's the kind of word that you can take with you. It's the kind of word that that Christians should really just hold in their lives. So I'm hoping that this will all end up making a lot of sense really. So what I felt God speak to me about, and if you were at Life Group a couple of weeks ago, I shared it in Life Group, was the, um, the two characters of wisdom and folly. And I don't know, who's read Proverbs? And I'm not doing this to embarrass you. If you've never heard of Proverbs, that's fine. Who's read Proverbs? Lovely. The book of Proverbs is basically a wisdom book, and it's lots of kind of um, thoughts on basically life. Some of it is truly hilarious. I love some of Proverbs. Some of it is just one line just kind of stabs you and you're like, wow, that's really wise, really helpful, really clever. It's very convicting as a book. It's really worth reading sort of in your daily readings, Proverbs. It's, it gives you little snippets of wisdom from God. Um, Loads of it makes perfect sense. You read it and you think, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense to my life. So it's a great little book. Um, In Proverbs, it talks about two characters called wisdom and folly. And I don't know why, they're both women in the book and they describe what wisdom and folly is like. And that's really what I felt God speak to me about. This is really what I felt God say. I felt him say that um, real life is time to set out your stall in the street and cry out. So the the role of wisdom is to cry out. Um, It's time for wisdom to speak out and to act out. Folly is shouting, can you hear her? The question heaven is asking is, where is wisdom and will she cry out? And I, I really felt this challenge to us as a local church now to be actually crying out in the streets. And, and I felt really strongly that we've, we've done a really good job of creating a meeting on Sundays that I would feel really happy to bring lots of people to. Um, and I think, although we're small, um, Ben said this right at the beginning, it feels like we're punching well above our weight. It feels like actually what we put on on a Sunday would be great for other people to come and listen and be a part of. Um, And so I feel really confident that our Sundays are looking of a certain standard. Most people, when they come amongst us, say what we love about this church is we really experience the presence of God. And that's been like the heart cry of mine and Stuart's for just years, that people would come amongst us and say, God is truly here. And we like the fact that we have good donuts. And we like the fact that we ordinarily have comfy chairs. These are fairly horrendous, aren't they? Yes. 
But we like the fact that we've got a nice room to meet in, that we've got a nice room for the kids, that we've got smiley, friendly faces. But if that is all we were as a church, I would be seriously disappointed because actually who we are as a people really is God among us. And we spoke to several guests over the last few weeks who've just said, I just encounter God in a new way or a special way or there's something lovely about the presence of God here. And that, for me, is just brilliant. We're just like, yes, that's exactly what we want in this place. And so my feeling was God was really saying to us, it's time for you to get out there and it's time for the message of wisdom really to start flowing out from this people. And I suppose if you're from another church, it's always time for the message of wisdom to be flowing out. So I'm going to read a couple of bits from the Bible. You'll be really pleased to hear. I'm going to read from Proverbs. So if you've got a Bible, open it up or open your app on your phone or whatever it is you do uh, to Proverbs 1, verse 20 to 23. If you don't own a Bible and you would like one, we've got one scattered around. They've got a black cover and a white cover. You can use them this morning. If you do not have one, take it away with you. We'd love you to own a Bible, so take it. Proverbs 1, 20 to 23. I'm reading from the ESV, so it might just have a different feel to what you're reading from, but hopefully you'll be able to follow along. The call of wisdom. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit on you and I will make my words known to you. And then I want you to flick forward to Proverbs 9, 13 to 18. And we'll get to hear a description of folly. And this is called the way of folly. The woman of folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house and she takes seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass her by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So you've got this picture in Proverbs of wisdom and folly, both on the streets and both crying out. One with a message of, if you turn to me, I will give you understanding, I will pour out my spirit, you'll be enlightened, you'll know the truth. One with a message of, if you're stupid, come and follow me and I'll lead you into even more stupidity. And as you follow through the book of Proverbs, you can, you can see this playing out. So I did a very simple word search who's been on biblegateway.com super I love it you can do a word search in that a keyword search so I did a keyword search for folly in the book of Proverbs and a keyword search for wisdom and just wrote down the description of each and so I'm just going to read those out for you just so that you can share in my little adventure so what Proverbs said about wisdom is that it's given from God and lives in God. So it resides in God wisdom. 
that it cries out, that you can store it up, that it's found in people's hearts, that you can teach wisdom, that it can be an intimate friend, that wisdom takes advice, that it's discerning, that it's better, that it's a fountain. So it kind of is is living, basically, is always... Something's always going on. There's movement. There's something, yeah, living about it. Um, The recommendation is to buy it, get it, or do whatever it takes to have it, that it builds, that it's full of integrity, that it's pleasing to men and women of understanding, that the righteous bring wisdom, that it goes hand in hand with the humble, that it brings future and hope, and that you can walk in wisdom. And then what Proverbs says about folly is this. It leads astray, it's loud and seductive, it knows nothing and uses the word stupid quite a few times, um, which I just quite enjoy. I like calling a spade a spade, so if something is stupid, I quite like to say that's stupid. I know it's not particularly PC at the moment, but I figure if God says it's all right, it's all right. Uh, It says it's foolish, it flaunts, it's shameful, it brings ruin, it turns the heart away from God. Wisdom is found in the heart, but it says that folly is bound up in the heart. So there's something that grips it. If you find something, there's something quite freeing and releasing about it. Something that is bound is, is tight and gripping. Um, it's sinful. Uh, there's a brilliant, it's one of my favourite proverbs really, where it talks about um, folly being like a dog that returns to its vomit over and over again and just re-eats it and re-churns it out. There is something about folly that makes you keep going back and tasting of the same thing. So people repeat the same mistakes over and over again and you must know that in your own life. There are certain mistakes that you make that you go back to again and again and again and you find yourself in it thinking, why am I here again? Why am I doing this again? That's folly. It lacks sense, it tears down, it's deceiving, it is inherited by the simple and interestingly, wisdom is inherited by the simple as well. So actually, what the Bible is saying is, To sum up, you're all stupid, but you can inherit more stupidity or you can inherit wisdom. And it's your choice. So folly leads to folly. So usually you find foolish acts lead to more foolish acts. It's why people who start off maybe just smoking dope end up injecting heroin. It's always a journey that progressively gets worse. Um... That was an extreme example, but you understand what I'm saying. Uh, You feed on folly. Uh, It's sweet tasting, but not lasting. So you know sometimes if you really need a sugar fix and you have a bar of chocolate, and then about an hour later you feel just as rough. It's that kind of idea. Not that I'm saying chocolate is folly, (laughs) because I don't believe that. Um, but it's not, it doesn't have a lasting effect. If you were to have a baked potato, you would probably be way more full up than a bar of chocolate. Uh, it's done in secret. Folly is often hidden and in the dark. Uh, which is why if, you, if young people congregate in an area and you floodlight that area, there's less trouble in that area. 
because actually stuff done in the dark, you can do more and get away with more in the dark than you can in a floodlit area. Um, and it leads to death. Ultimately, folly leads to a life of death. Ultimately, wisdom leads to a life of eternal life, really. So I, I began kind of just musing, really. When God speaks to me, I usually do some kind of study in what God has spoken to me about. So if it's a certain scripture um, or a certain thing, like if God spoke to me once about royalty, and so I researched a little bit about kings and queens and what royalty looks like and where it falls down and the different colours of royalty. And So if ever I get something prophetically, I like to do a little bit of research. I would strongly recommend that if God speaks to you about a scripture or something specific, that you just do a little bit of research on it and just think, right, well, I'll just have a little look at what that actually means. Um, So I did a little bit of research in our culture of what folly might look like and what wisdom might look like coming out of the church, really. And I'm going to get you guys to have just a little think. I'm going to give you a few examples and then ask you, what do you think folly looks like in our culture? So the first one that really kind of sprung to mind was um, the whole... Um, idea of what sex is in our culture. So if you watch TV adverts, open a magazine up, listen to anybody under the age of 30, you will hear what folly says sex is like. So the kind of message that you get is have it, so have sex, and it, it feels like it's been a long time since anybody has stood up and said safe sex is no sex until you're married. It feels like a long time since that kind of morality is coming through. Safe sex now means using a condom and making sure that if you do have multiple partners, you're well protected. Um, And that feels like the kind of pervading, I suppose, morals of our culture, really. It feels like now there's a silent message of don't really bother with marriage because it fails such a lot. So if you watch any soaps, Uh, you are really unlikely to find a marriage that works on it. If you do find one, they're about to bust it up. So you find one and you think, wow, good example of marriage. And then one of them starts having an affair. And you're like, what? Like, how could you wreck that? And it seems that the kind of message coming through is, have lots of sex, have multiple partners totally acceptable and marriage is a dying institution and really doesn't work and that seems to be the kind of underlying message I watched does anybody watch Grey's Anatomy I have to confess to watching some right old trash so when I talk about folly uh, you're going to hear me make some examples of things that you'll think man that is dreadful watching well I watched an episode of Grey's Anatomy the other day and um There's a character on it called Little Grey, and she's the little sister of the main character. And she's dating a guy, and someone wants to find out whether or not she's a good girl and whether or not she'd be a good influence. So they ask her, how many sexual partners have you had? And she's on the ward, it's a little bit awkward, and she kind of embarrassingly says, six. And then the woman reports back to the guy and says, she's a good girl. And I thought to myself, it was so interesting, probably because her number was below 10, maybe. You know, it was in single figures. Naturally, she was maybe, say, 20, 
four, something like that, and that was good. And that was considered good. I thought it was really interesting just looking at it and thinking, that in and of itself is foolishness. That in and of itself is folly. And so it's stuff like that, really, where you just think there's a message that goes out that actually is encouraging our culture to end up with more broken marriages, more sexually transmitted diseases, more... The abortion rate, we have one of the highest abortion rates in the whole of Europe, which, when we're an educated people, should be outrageous to us, but isn't, is seen as a form of contraception and seen as a viable alternative to actually not sleeping around. And so it's a really interesting area, the whole bit of sex. And then you compare it to wisdom. So you say, what does God have to say about sex? So he says that my design for you is the best. So when God looked at creation, he said, it's good, it's good, it's good. Men and women, one man for one woman, very good. There's something about God's design that is best. And if ever you go back to the basics and say, we're going to do it like God says we should do it, it always is good. Even though you have to work, if you're married, you have to work very hard at staying married and also having a good marriage. It isn't easy, but it's good. God says, one man for one woman for the rest of your life. And... I know some people that would say, oh my gosh, can you imagine how boring that is, ending up with one man and one woman for the rest of your life? I remember being on a Hindu once where some of the girls were chatting and there were two of us who weren't Christians and they asked us a few questions about our relationships. One of the things they asked me is, did you sleep with your husband before you got married? I'd met these girls like about two hours beforehand. So straight in there with did you? And I said, no. And they said, oh. And I said, to be honest, I'm a Christian, and since becoming a Christian, I've realised that God's way is best, and so we decided we would wait. Then, for the rest of the evening, all these girls were chatting about was that. And they were saying, that's just amazing. One girl said, oh, that sounds just like a fairy tale. (laughs) I was like, have you met Stuart? (laughs) Um, (laughs) And, um, well, actually, have you met me? Um, and we were, we were chatting about it, and I realised what they were saying is, we would love that. We would love one man to come in and say, I want to marry you, I want to be with you for the rest of my life, I want to commit to you, I want to learn how to have sex with you, and I want to do it lots, and I want to make loads of babies with you. They were saying, that would be lovely. But their actions said something completely different. Because they live in a culture where multiple sexual partners is the norm, sadly. And all over the telly, and even if people aren't having it, they're talking like they are. Because actually you feel ridiculous saying, no, actually. Because I initially thought, as I went to say, no, I initially thought, oh, I'm going to get caned for this. That they're just going to like, this will be all we talk about for the whole night now. And I initially just thought, oh... Maybe I'll just say I don't want to answer that. Because we're in a culture that looks completely different. So wisdom and folly cry out, and they cry out different things. What I want to challenge, I really felt convicted by this. If you're married, I want to challenge you to have the best sex lives you can possibly have. Because I think 
everyone in the culture would suggest that actually the church is boring, God hates sex, you're never allowed to have it, and when you do have it, it's just, you know, done because you've got to have babies. It's very, like, it's a physical act to make a baby full stop the end. I also think that sometimes Christians are the most embarrassed people about talking about this topic when we should be the most vocal and celebrating of sex in the whole wide world because God made it and we're doing it within the context that he set for sex. So I'm not suggesting that we all sit around and tell the gory details but I am suggesting that we delight in our partners and we talk about relationships and we're not shy if someone asks us about this area and we also talk about marriage being a delight as well as hard work so when Stuart and I went to get married so many people told us first year is a nightmare oh first year terrible when we went to have a baby and the people who told us this were Christians First year, horrendous. Like, don't think you'll be getting any sleep. Don't think you'll be doing anything nice with your life. You can kiss goodbye, anything fun. And I remember thinking, aren't we the ones who are supposed to celebrate this? Aren't we the ones who believe that this is a gift? Aren't we the ones who are supposed to be doing it the best? And I remember thinking, no way will our first year be a nightmare and no way will our first year with Levi be a nightmare. Because I cannot have that. Like, we are supposed to be the ones that say, this is good, follow us, do it. We're supposed to be the ones with wisdom. So if you're married, come on. We want to we communicate to people that this is hard, but easier with God, and worth it every day of the week. I would never trade being a wife and a mum. I love both of them. Like, they're amazing things and amazing gifts from God. And I think there's, there's so much more in us that could cry that out instead of, let me tell you how horrific it is, let me tell you how awful it is every day of my life. And what I hear around church more often than not is how hard it is. And I know that is because there's something in us that wants to educate people that this isn't a joyride and you know it it is hard work but I think if we're not careful we join folly and we say this is so hard this is so difficult that more and more people think I'm not going to bother I'm not going to bother with that I'm not going to bother having kids I'm not going to bother getting married that sounds like way too much hard work forget it I'll chill out and be single so I want to encourage us to cry out wisdom in our relationships. I'm going to do three examples and then I'm going to ask you what you think about wisdom and folly. So I'm going to ask you if you notice anything around you that you think is foolish. So the next one I'm going to take, I've taken three of the best, so I'm sorry. Uh, well, I'm not actually. Folly is must have more money and I must have more stuff and more stuff and more money is what will make me happy. Where you see this is everywhere. So Christmas is the worst. Every advert, every advertising campaign is get this, spend this. If you don't have the money, we'll advance it to you. You can pay it back later. So some of the stupidest things you ever see are things like have it now, pay in four years' time. 
Well, if you don't have the money now, what the heck is going to happen in four years' time that makes you think you'll have the money then? You're likely, if you're married, to have more kids by them and less money. So it doesn't make any sense. Your wages are not stretching long enough. So go on this website and get your wages this week so that when you get paid at the end of the month, you have no money left because we've charged you 1,750% interest. And people are getting themselves in all sorts of trouble because folly says more stuff, more money makes you more happy. And you see it, if anybody has known people have their houses extended or redecorated and done, the moment that is done is something else. And I'm not saying don't decorate, don't extend your house. That, that would be silly. What I'm saying is that isn't where happiness is found. And yet folly would have you believe that. Folly would have you believe that at Christmas time the most important thing is how much you spend on your kids, on each other. So we're chatting to people who are spending the most horrendous amount of money at Christmas time. To the point a little bit where I feel a little bit embarrassed. (laughs) That I think, oh, I might not tell you what we're buying Levi. (laughs) Last year... We bought Levi one present because I knew that he would get shed loads. And I just thought, there's just no point. I don't want him to think that this is a day all about the stuff. That just isn't. So we bought him a lion, which he absolutely adores. And everybody else went crazy, which was fine. I don't want him to grow up thinking Christmas is about the stuff. don't want him to grow up thinking stuff equals happiness. Money equals happiness. And it's interesting, if you do any kind of Christian ministry, what you find out very quickly is you hardly ever have to um, pray and deal with people who've had less income but have seen their parents around all the time than those who've had parents who are absent because they're working so hard that they never see them. In Christian ministry, you spend loads of time with kids who come from middle-class families where they hardly ever see their parents and don't actually know they're loved. It's rare to find kids who've grown up without the stuff but have got people around having issues with, I don't feel loved, I don't feel cared for, which is the irony of folly. So folly makes parents believe you must work hard, you must get your kids all the stuff because it's that which helps them thrive and it's those things that make them feel like they're not loved which is the irony of folly. It it always works out the wrong way round. So more stuff does not equal more happy because people who have more stuff just buy more stuff. So it's kind of like a, a monster really, greed. You get a nice car and then instantly they bring out a model above you. And when I say this, I am not disrespecting iPhones because I think they're amazing. But you get the brand new one that talks to you. Next year they'll bring out one that makes you a cup of tea and you'll be wanting that. There's always something more. And manufacturers know that. Advertisers know that. What we have to know is we have to be secure in what actually wisdom says makes you happy. So wisdom says this. Jesus has come that we might have life and life in its fullness. And you think, what is that? That means actually if I know God and I'm in right relationship with God and I do what he asks me to do, I'm all good. I'm all set in my heart of who I am, where I'm going and what I'm supposed to do. If I have more money or less money, it makes no difference. 
So Stuart and I have earned more money and we've earned less money. Now we're on one income, so we definitely earn less money. That isn't where our happiness is found. So we probably have more stuff and we have more money and we're able to be more generous. We were not more happy because actually who we are is who we are in God, full stop the end. And it ought to be that for us as a local church. So it isn't about the house I live in, the car I drive, the food I eat, the clothes I wear, although I'm not adverse to any of those things. I like a nice car, I like nice clothes, I like nice food. That's not where our happiness is found. That's not where our security is. We're different. We're wisdom people. And that is something that we have to cry out with our lives. We have to speak out and say, this is not where our happiness is found. This is not where we find out who we are and what we're about. This is not where we secure up our future, because our future is secure. So again, I feel like us as a church, we... We want to be the most secure people on planet Earth. We want to be those that can walk around going, I know I'm loved, I know I'm free, I know I'm forgiven, I know that my future is all tucked up in heaven, that I have a place waiting for me that Jesus Christ is preparing. I can't think of a better property developer or interior designer. Or I look at my world and think, man, if God prepared this for me, what must heaven be like? Like, awesome. And so I can rest easy. I don't have to panic as recession comes in or I don't have to be thinking, gosh, I've got to store up all of this. I can be generous. I can give it away. I can, with my life, communicate that I do not invest in material things. I invest in eternal things. So I can give away money and be silly. I can think, well, you know, I don't need to have that bigger car, bigger house, bigger whatever, I could give that money somewhere else. I can be different and I can communicate something. I can cry out something. Uh, I'm going to take, the last one I'm going to take is, Folly says, the problem with kids today is the government's fault, the teacher's fault, video games' fault, anybody's fault, other than, I'm sorry to say this, parents'. So the problem with kids today is everybody else. You've all done a bad job. So the government, you are just poor. Schooling, poor. Games that are produced, poor. Not that someone had to go and buy that game and let it be played in their house, but that you put it on sale to people who should be over 15, but I bought it for my eight-year-old. Poor. All of that is why we have a problem with our children today. And this is one that just gets me even more so since I've had a child. Because Stuart and I made a decision one day to recreate. We made a decision that we would have a baby. We made that decision prayerfully and it took us quite a while. Stuart and I were married for 10 years before we started trying to have kids. We'd been practising for a long time. <laughs> when we made that decision to have children, we decided before God that we would be responsible for our children because we decided to bring them into the world because we decided that we would like to parent. And 
We also agreed with God that we would accept any help that was offered to us to add to our parenting. So we would make sure we were part of a good local church where there was a great kids' work. We would ensure that Levi ends up in a decent school, whatever that means. And we would make sure that we help him develop friendships and give him a brother or sister to develop and get rid of selfishness. You know? We would help, we would use whatever the world had to offer that we considered good to help us parent Levi, but we would be his parents. And we would raise our son or daughter in the way that God has intended. So if Levi goes off the rails, which I sincerely hope not, but he's got a determined character in him because he was made by me and Stuart. (laughs) So he's got his own opinions and his own little voice and he's strong and he takes some leading. If he goes off the rails, we're not going to be looking at his school, we're not going to be looking at the kids' work, we're going to be looking at us and saying, okay, how do we help this little man get back on track? And I think fully cries out that it's everybody else's fault. Wisdom says, parents, train your children in the way they should walk. Train them. So that means watching what they watch, checking out their schools, helping them develop friendships. That means being stuck in with them. That means helping them to get to know God. That means taking responsibility when they're not doing things and saying, yep, we are going to look at that. We are going to tackle that. And I know that is so unpopular in our culture because it is way easier to blame everybody else. And we live in a blame culture where Folly says, it's everybody else's fault, not mine. So we live in a culture that sues everybody, that blames everybody. No one stands up and says, I did it. Levi's learnt how to say that now. He's hilarious. Like, he'll spill things and shout in a loud voice, wherever he is in the house, I did it. So he was drawing with crayons on the floor the other day, um, just on laminate floor, so, you know, I wasn't really stressed. Big loud voice, I did it. Come in and there's like basically a drawing on our kitchen floor. Um, Excellent. I don't know at what point you lose that ability to just own up and go, I did this. This mess, I created this and I want to sort it out. Politicians don't, no one does it. They don't stand up and go, that was me. I messed up, I'm going to sort it out. And I feel like as a local church, we want to be those that say these are our kids and we are going to raise them. We're going to take all the help we can get, but they're ours. And we're going to do the best job that we can do. And we're going to train them in the way they should walk. And we're not going to be those who are down at the school yelling at the teachers for their lack of whatever. We're going to be those that honour them and say, thanks for helping us out. Thanks for buddying up with us. We're going to be those who honour the kids' work and say, thank you so much for teaming up with us and being those that will help us raise our kids and will help them do a good job. We're going to be those that get involved with families. If our kids get involved with kids who are maybe not what we would pick, we're going to be those that come right alongside and say, do you know what, let's help out. Let's get in there with our kids and let's help them build decent relationships and let's input into this situation. Rather than saying, oh my gosh, that disgusting behaviour is because he goes around there. We're going to be those who watch what our kids watch. 
look at the video games and go, this is totally unacceptable. That does not stay in our house. My mum always used to say, this is my house, my rules. I'm so going to adopt that. Be like, I don't care if all your friends play that rubbish. My house, my rules. We don't watch that rubbish. We don't play with that rubbish. And I refuse to blame it on that for being the problem with your attitude or your anger or your whatever. And it's challenging for us, I think, because you have to cut against something that that shouts out so loudly, you have to then shout out just as loud. And what you notice about wisdom and folly is they both shout, they both cry out, they've both got a volume to them. What I feel a little bit is like the church is a bit too quiet and folly is a little bit too loud. And you see it on the media. You rarely see a Christian get up who, you know, you could respect and say something that you could respect. I I think, oh man, come on. There's better things to say about sex. There's better things to say about money. And there's better things to say about raising children. Much better. And you can't be sitting there thinking, I don't have kids and I'm not married, so it's irrelevant to me. You can be some of the biggest promoters of some of God's stuff even when you don't have them. So I remember being one of the biggest promoters of parenting way before I had kids. I remember feeling like, I want marriage to work. I come from a family that is absolutely riddled with divorce. I don't want that for my kids and the people around me. I grew up in a house with three divorces. I don't want that. That isn't how I want to live. And so I can cry out whether or not I've even experienced any of this stuff myself because God says it's the best. So I wonder what you think is foolish around you. You don't need to be shy. This is going on the internet. So (laughs) you don't need to be shy, but maybe careful. Maybe not say your own names. (laughs) so what do you notice around you that you would say that is foolish sorry body image brilliant I had that down here as well so like what okay so perfectly beautiful decent sized girls saying I'm fat and actually in comparison to some of the super skinny stuff you see in magazines Actually, you probably do look fat in comparison to someone who is that thin and hasn't eaten for eight weeks or whatever. Because it's always a comparison, isn't it? Magazines are terrible at that. They they show celebrities and say, look at how fat they are. And you look at it and go, seriously? I'm really concerned because if that is fat, like, I'm in trouble. And what does God say about body image? So what would be the wisdom Okay. Made in his image. Awesome. What else? Fearfully and wonderfully made. Oh, I love that scripture. That doesn't mean no Christian ever needs to go on a diet and watch their weight. That doesn't mean you can eat whatever you like and be obese and cause yourself health problems. What that means is you're made in the image of God. Like you're special to him, his image, his likeness. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. How you've been put together is outrageous. Wait till you get pregnant, ladies in the room, and you get to see how God knits someone together in your womb. It is unreal. You see a scan and you just go, what is this? It's the most incredible design that God has ever done on the whole planet. 
it's so good and so intricate and so amazing. It's just mind-blowing. That's what God says. You're that. Which is so different, isn't it? Girls who become, and increasingly, on Radio 1 they did a, a show where they were getting guys to ring in who struggle with anorexia, and it was devastating hearing the, the people just calling in and talking about some of their struggles. It was an awareness week, it was really good, but devastating at the same time. Some of them were so underweight, it was heartbreaking and still saying they're fat. That's where folly leads. A dog returns to its own vomit again and again and again. And it leads you down a path that is just hideous. So the whole generation of guys and girls that just think they're ugly, fat, not worth anything. And you have then a high teenage suicide rate, a high rate of anorexia. We've got to speak out and say, actually, God made you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. What else is stupid? Ah, oh, being busy. Busy, busy, busy. Uh, like, in fact, you feel a bit bad if someone says, how's your day been? And you can't say, well, actually, I sat on the couch all day. It was awesome. <laughs> you feel really bad if you say, Do you know what? I've had the laziest day ever. I've done nothing. And I've really chilled out and enjoyed Jesus and enjoyed my family. It's been awesome. You feel like you have to say, oh, busy. Because, oh, I've been so busy. Yeah, busy. Oh, I'm crazy busy at work. Oh, yeah, cra- with the kids, just crazy. Yeah. And everyone goes, oh, yeah, yeah. Because we, we're all in this kind of crazy world where being busy is good. It's not a bad thing that you might get so stressed out, that you might have migraines, that you might have a nervous breakdown, that you never see your family, that, you, that your life is just horrendous. That's fine. As long as you're busy. Busy, busy, busy. What would God say? Not to worry yeah. Yeah, he's got it. Awesome. Rest in him. Oh, I love that. Yep. Lovely. Your significance comes from him. Yep. Agreed. To do something to the best of your ability isn't busy, though. So that, I think that's what we need to understand in our culture. So you can do something well and still go home. You can do something well and still have a life. You can do something well and say, that's it, I'm done. That's the best I could do today, all done. I'm going home, I'm not bringing all of that home with me, I'm not doing all of that, I'm not... <coughs> so there are things that we can look at. Anything else that's foolish? Yeah. Everything instant. Want it now. Everything. It's just a very, it's a fast food culture, really, when you look at it. It's everything now. I want this now. I want relationship now. I want intimacy now. I want money now. I want my food now. If I have to, every time I go into a shop, someone apologises for keeping me waiting. I just think, why? I stood here for five minutes catching my breath. It was lovely. <laughs> like, what's the big hurry? Oh, we're so sorry we had to keep you waiting. They were so sorry. And it's like, seriously? You order a burger and they're like, oh, sorry, we had to keep you waiting for two minutes while we flash-fried that bit of meat and shoved it in that. 
and then you just shovel it down your face. Sorry, that took more than five minutes. And it, it feels like that all the time. Relationships are like that. That's why people have sex really quickly. I want intimacy now. I don't want to work for it. I don't want to be bothered with marriage. I don't want to work out whether or not we're compatible. I just want the intimacy and the connection right now. So I'll just have it. There's something on what Matt was saying about um, popular opinion and comment and commentary on what's going on in life. It's, it's, just, it's, it's everywhere and it's, frankly, people that I just don't wish to consider their opinions on. Yep, yep. It's those, it's those that are in the most ready. So what does God say that's different to that? <coughs> Yep, his voice is the loudest, too right. It's truth, it's eternal. Even things like storing up treasures in heaven. It's talking about stuff you have to work for and invest and, you know, not everything you get now. I think sometimes people come to Christ thinking they're just going to have this amazing life where everything's sorted out, just like that. Oh, I'll be able to get married, have kids, I'll be able to have a great job, I'll be able to have a house with a nice white picket fence around it, and basically my whole life will be a musical. And just think, I don't really get that. When I look at the life of Jesus, I think his life wasn't really the sound of music, was it? Like, his life was gritty and raw, and he had to work, and he had to invest and he had to go through things that were painful but he did it all with God and I think that's really our challenge but I'm aware of the time I want to set you a bit of homework Um, I want to suggest a couple of things that we do with this really The, the first thing is really I think in order to be wise and speak out wisdom we've got to be reading our Bibles We've got to be getting truth into us because actually all that happens is you are saturated daily with TV. The media is crazy. We have never lived in a time where the media is so accessible. So we now have phones that if you ask them a question, they tell you the answer. No effort required. We have access to more information than we've ever had. So you can go online and read all the magazines, the newspapers. You don't even have to buy stuff anymore. We have to be that saturated with the word of God in order to cry out. So I know there are people in the room here who would say, I don't like reading, but you'll happily read any amount of rubbish on the internet, but not your Bible. We've got to get the word of God into us. For wisdom to cry out, we have to be ingesting it. We have to be taking it in. We have to be speaking to one another in hymns and spiritual songs and psalms. and We have to be getting the stuff in there in order to cry it out. Because you have to feel confident about what you're crying out. So I've got a few books. I want to say read your Bibles. Evangelical churches are some of the worst. Our kind of churches are some of the worst at reading our Bibles. It's because we hate legalism and we hate the whole you've got to do this, you've got to do that to earn God's favour. So sometimes that means we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. We've gone because we don't like legalism and we don't like having to We've then gone to the other extreme where it's okay to do whatever we like. And we're not filling our heads with wisdom, the world is. 
movies, books, everything is crying at us, something different, and we've got nothing else to come back and go, that's rubbish. Not having that in my life. I will not live like that because I know my word. This little book here, What is the Gospel? Super. If you just want a little touch up on, actually, what is the message that I'm supposed to be sending out there into my workplace, into the world? Brilliant. If you've been a Christian a while, you think to yourself, I know the gospel, do you? Do you really? So if I came and asked you at the end of the meeting, you would be confident enough to talk me through the truth of the gospel and lead me to Christ. And it wouldn't faze you. I think a lot of Christians could do with jelling up on what the gospel actually is. And sometimes I hear people say things that I just think, that doesn't even border on heresy. That is heresy. We should know it better than that. So this is a super little book. What is the gospel? Oh, Greg Gilbert. This here, Max Licardo. If you like a storyteller, this guy is super. This is called 316. He basically takes John 316 and just pulls it apart and tells loads of stories. And it, it delights your heart to know what you're saved from and into. Beautiful. Uh, this is slightly chewier, but broken up into little like daily devotional reading. If you haven't read any John Piper, he is lovely when it comes to Jesus. Oh, just beautiful. So this is called The Passion of Jesus Christ. I've read it several times as a daily reading. Just takes you through what Christ achieved on the cross. Makes you sure. It's, it's very helpful. So I'd say read and get gemmed up on what the truth is. It's so important if wisdom is going to flow out of us as a people. Secondly, we must get out there. Yesterday we got out on the streets. Just lovely. I loved being out there, just letting people know we exist. Christmas time particularly, everywhere is, it's all about Father Christmas, it's all about shopping, it's all about how much you're going to spend and eat. Crazy, crazy times. Exactly the right time for wisdom to stand up and say it's all about Jesus. Come here, rest here. Don't worry, it won't cost you anything. Well, not yet anyway. Come and have a look. Come and be part of us. We must get out there. Thirdly, we must be those full of the Holy Spirit. If you do not know how to get yourself full of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, come and talk to me and I will help you. And then we must make the most of Christmas because folly is about at its most stupidest at Christmas time, which means wisdom needs to be at its most loudest needs to be saying, no, 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 you've totally missed the point. It's all about the baby. It's all about the man. It's all about the crucifixion. It's all about the resurrection. You've missed it. It has nothing to do with the man in the red suit and everything to do with the baby in the manger. It's the stupidest, silliest season where people spend too much money getting too much debt, put too much pressure on themselves. Some of the worst marital breakups, suicides, happen around Christmas time. People just go nuts. And in that crying out of complete stupidity, we need to stand up and go, no, 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 this is it. For most of us, all it's going to take is handing a flyer out and a balloon out, saying, come for this, because we've got a better message. Wisdom says it's all about Jesus. I'm going to worship now. Could someone go and get our lovely children who delight us and are a gift from God and are sometimes too noisy? We're going to worship Jesus and hopefully get some more truth into us.
and then we'll see what else God wants to say.